Hi, I'm Charlie Albone and welcome to episode four of That's How We Grow in partnership with Still Garden Power Tools. Now, if you're tuning in to listen to Andrew Winter, he gave me a call last night. Tommy had to get a fake tan done and then go and vacuum his fake grass. But don't worry, we will be chatting to him later on in the series. You all know I love designing gardens and designing a garden around some beautiful established trees is my favourite thing to do. They instantly become a centre point of a garden and they can frame your garden design. Trees will keep your garden and home cooler in summer, shading us from the beating hot sun. We often take this for granted and rarely pay attention to the gentle giants in our gardens. But for their long-term health, it's important we remember to give them some love. Now today I'll be joined by arborist Martin Peacock. Many years ago, Martin and I studied horticulture together and Martin has gone on to becoming one of the leading tree experts in the country and has a beautiful property just outside of Bathurst. From big gum trees to how to prune your citrus, Martin and I are going to be discussing how to best care for your trees. So before the blossom has chance to be blown off or the leaves begin to change colour, let's get into our chat with Martin. I am really excited today to talk to a good friend of mine, Martin Peacock. Now, Martin is the king when it comes to trees, shall we say. He has a national diploma in horticulture with an arboriculture option in the UK. He also has a higher national diploma in arboriculture from the UK, and he has an honours degree in arboriculture. But I met Martin when we were at TAFE together doing a diploma of horticulture specialising in landscape design. That was over 20 years ago. Can you believe it, Martin? <laughs> no, you were climbing trees back then. Uh, I used... <laughs> I used to do a bit of groundwork for you and I actually remember the day you got me in a harness to prussic up a tree uh, with the world spinning around me beneath my feet. It was one of the most terrifying experiences of my life. <laughs> I noticed uh, you've stopped climbing now. You're, you're more into uh, tree reports and writing tree care programs. Can you tell me a bit about how you got into trees, why you love them um, and what you find fascinating about them? Yes, absolutely. Well, we had a, a woodland at the end of the road when I was a kid and I used to like nothing more than scarving off down there every available opportunity and, you know, climbing trees, building dens, doing all that sort of stuff that kids do. So uh, when it came to having to choose some sort of career at school, I thought forestry might be um, sort of a, a good thing to get into. Um, and after, after I started to have a bit of a look around, see what sort of jobs there were out there, I actually came across something uh, which at the time was called a tree surgeon, which sounded incredibly exciting. And the more I looked into that, I realised that you could actually go off to college and, and study it and get paid to climb trees. So, you know, what, what, better, uh, what, what better thing to do, I, I thought to myself and got myself signed up, joined a, a college, a national diploma course in Northern England. And that's it. Never look back. I've been in the tree industry ever since. And tell me a bit about what you do these days, because uh, you write tree reports, don't you? Rather than yes, climbing yeah. with chainsaws and things like that. Yeah, I still, I still occasionally. Involve? Well, so so most of the stuff is is very tree management reports for people. Quite often, it's people who are doing development work, so they might have to have a tree report done as part of their development application. And also, my role as the arborist is to basically help the architect work with them and look at ways where we can sort of keep better trees and build around them and things with impacting the health of the tree too much. Also, the safety of trees is a, another important aspect. So I do a sort of a lot of tree assessment reports where we're just looking at the health of a tree and its structural condition. 
and maybe making some management recommendations just to make sure that the tree is safe and healthy. And I still occasionally get up a tree now and again. And these days I've swapped the chainsaw mainly for sort of other specialist tools that we can use and often find myself poking around in tree hollows, trying to sort of work out if there's you know, how decayed a tree might be internally and uh, whether or not that might mean that we have to sort of make some recommendations for sort of occasionally, you know, pruning or removing a tree if it's become unsafe because it's decayed. Sure. So so when is the best time to prune a tree then? Very much depends on the sort of tree that you've got. General rule of thumb, um, you shouldn't be pruning trees generally when they're in flower or in fruit because the tree is putting lots of its energy reserves into producing those flowers and seed and everything to, for the next generation of trees. So if you're not really sure, winter time for a lot of trees is good. Certainly your deciduous trees, when there's no leaves on them, uh, it's much easier to sort of look at the branch framework of the tree and that's sort of a, always a, a good guide as to often where to prune. You can see any sort of crossing branches or damaged or diseased branches that you might be wanting to take out. Certain trees, some of the fruit trees, um, you probably want to be pruning them um, in the summertime just because there may be certain diseases which particular trees can be, be prone to. You've got things like your peaches, nectarines and apricots, some of your stone fruit. They're some of those trees to prune after they've finished fruiting in the summer and then you've got your fruit trees like apples pears and cherries mm -hmm. you'd probably look to give a bit of a winter prune and um, try and establish a nice branch framework with lots of fruiting spurs which are going to produce next year's fruit there's one or two trees that you shouldn't really prune at certain times in springtime you've got trees like birches mulberries maples magnolias and poplars which if you prune them in spring can tend to bleed sap quite a bit so that's something that you really want to avoid and things like your native gums and stuff like that, when should, you, when should you be pruning those? Again, after flowering is a good time. The tree, once it's finished flowering and it's into producing fruit, um, then, you know, it, it's uh, in the late, late well, depends when the, uh, when the particular tree flowers, but, you know, sort of late summertime, you've got active growth, then the tree often will heal, seal over the pruning wounds more quickly. Once a tree's sealed over the wound, that's mm -hmm. it, the natural processes uh, of the tree's compartmentalization, which helps to seal out uh, decay and pathogens. Sure. So what, uh, what should you be looking at trying to prune off? Because I know uh, you, you've spoken to me before in the past about how you see young arborists just completely taking all the dead wood out of a tree and you think it looks a little bit silly because, you know, it doesn't look natural. Um, are you trying to remove dead all the deadwood? Are you trying to remove crossing branches? What what are you looking for when you're looking at a tree for the first time and giving it an assessment and and giving it its, a good prune? Okay, well, um, yeah, deadwood's an interesting one. All trees are biologically programmed to grow to roughly a certain mature height, so it's never a good idea to try and keep your you know, potentially 30 metre tall blackbutt tree as a, as a 10 metre shrub, because if you keep chopping the top off, it's just going to keep desperately throwing back lots of new growth in an attempt to reach the mature size that it wants to get to. So ideally, when you're pruning, you should generally be looking at fruit trees accepted where you're trying to potentially create a nice framework of which you're going to harvest the fruit from. For most ornamental trees, you're just looking at maintaining a natural shape to the tree and from an aesthetic point of view, yes, dead branches can look quite ugly. So um, removing dead wood um, to make the tree tree's appearance better is certainly something that you can do. Um, it's often with a big tree to try and remove every little stick and small twig is a bit of a pointless exercise because 
you can even the climbing arborist if there's somebody in your tree can sometimes do more damage trying to get out every single little branch um, you know out at the tips it's more just taking out the more larger dangerous branches if a tree has started to become declining in in vigor and becoming a bit sick often you'll get more dead wood forming and that again can look unsightly so taking out a lot of that dead wood um, will often improve the appearance of the tree but um, Sometimes people say to me, oh, you know, we should take out the deadwood, shouldn't we, because it's going to make the tree more healthy. Well, that's actually not the case. Um, it doesn't make any difference to the tree, really, whether it's got a few dead branches hanging in there. So it, it's more about sort of how we choose to uh, manage the tree from an aesthetic point of view if it's in a garden setting quite often. Sure. Um, <clears throat> when you're pruning a, a branch off a tree, you always go back to the collar, which is, you know, looks like, the it's where a branch comes off uh, the trunk and it looks almost like it's got a skivvy on right so, so you bring <laughs> yeah. back to that point um and you do that because there's what hormones in in that in that collar which protect the tree yes is the problem with crossing branches that it opens a wound is is that the issue with crossing branches or is there any other issues with it that you yeah no again yeah cross you're right there crossing branches um as the branches move around in the wind they often can rub the bark uh break the bark off each other and then it creates a wound and any wound on a tree be it a pruning wound that you've created by deliberately removing a branch or a wound caused by storm damage, rubbing branches as we're talking about, um, that uh, creates an entry point where potentially, you know, diseases and plant pathogens and things can get in there. And, you know, if the tree is healthy, often what it will do is it'll actually seal off around the damaged area naturally. Um, but in certain circumstances and with certain diseases that are a bit more, uh, if you like, aggressive, they can get into the tree and then start to affect some of the healthy tissue around the wound. So, yeah, ideally, a bit of formative pruning to uh, remove crossing branches and anything that might be a problem down the track is always a good idea when the tree is quite small. So what is the difference then between uh, pruning a, an old mature tree and a, and a relatively young tree? I suppose uh, we'd be just talking about deadwood. I mean, certainly, you know, big dead branches uh, in assuming that we're talking about, you know, a garden setting, um, you know, you obviously want to sort of take out any deadwood that could fall and, you know, damage, damage something or injure somebody. Um, you know, you've got mm -hmm. to remember that deadwood can take a long time to dry out and become uh, brittle and decayed to the point where it'll fall out. So it's not like, a, you know, if a, if a branch dies off, it's not like you necessarily have to worry immediately that it's just going to suddenly pop off and, and cause some sort of damage. But over time, you know, bigger branches, definitely um, periodically, you should always, you know, cast your eyes over the tree and, and see what's going on up in the top of the crown in a big tree. And if you see any big, branch, big dead mm -hmm. branches, you know, obviously something with no leaves on, no bark, uh, something that stands out as looking, um, you know, sort of distinctly different from the rest of the tree, then, you know, that's uh, probably time to call in an arborist to go up and, and have a look. Is that done seasonally, do you think? It's not a bad idea to um, have your tr tree trees checked, you know, probably annually or every couple of years at least. Okay. If a tree is very dense, then obviously, you know, it may be more difficult to see what's going on sort of internally within the crown. But um, I suppose... I always say now that, you know, we do have some quite severe storms and, you know, with climate change, you know, the, the increasingly the severity of storms is, is looks like it's getting worse. 
So uh, certainly after a big storm event, it's always worth going out and just, if you've got any big trees, just having a look around in the crown, see if you can spot any branches that may have been damaged by winds, you know, cracks, um, branches which are sort of hanging at a strange angle or something that maybe have been partially broken but haven't fallen out of the crown. You know, part of the, you know, your day-to-day sort of activities in the garden, it's always good to just cast your eye over your trees and sort of look up see what's going on up there. Um, but yeah, certainly maybe every couple of years if you've got a, a big tree or at any point if your tree suddenly changes in appearance quite significantly, then that might indicate that there's something going on, which could be in the crown. It could be something to do with the root system of the tree. I mean, you know, who knows? But, you know, having a professional arborist check out the health of your tree, um, yeah, is always a good idea periodically. Yeah, and sort of your younger trees, how, how do you look at pruning those? Because obviously they're a bit more accessible to to, to get into yes uh, is, is it, it a different process or is it the same yeah well again uh, we talked about formative pruning and looking at the tree identifying crossing branches and things um i mean really in an ideal world if you look at a small a small tree which has crossing branches or some of the other defects i'm sure we're going to talk about shortly you can prune those off with a pair of secateurs at ground level um you know in a matter of moments mm-hmm. whereas if you do nothing about it and let the tree develop obviously as those branches become bigger you know you'll get to a point where you know the home gardener you know 10 20 years down the track isn't able to remove these branches and at that point you you know you're gonna have to get in a professional and it's gonna create a much larger pruning wound it's much more uh, stressful for the tree to you know use some of its stored carbohydrate reserves to seal off the wound and all that sort of thing so yes certainly giving your small trees a good once over when you when you plant them and in the first couple mm. of years just to get a nice branch framework and as you mentioned removing any crossing branches the other thing to look out for is what they call bark inclusions. Um, these often happen where you get two branches which sort of are growing up together in parallel and you get a seam of bark trapped between the two branches. What that does is it stops the wood fibres from knitting together and forming a nice branch junction. And then as these two branches, which aren't very well knitted together, expand and grow over time, they sort of, if you like, push, start to push each other apart. and these bark inclusions that develop between them, if you're going to get a severe a severe bark inclusion combined with a severe weather event, you know, strong winds, etc., that's when you've got a greater chance of a branch failing by trying to look for what they call bark inclusions. And and uh, in the early stages and getting the secateurs out and dealing with them there and then is is a much better idea than sort of having to get an arborist down the track to come and climb a tree and start start the chainsaw up and start taking out large branches. When it comes to pruning uh, in, in the home garden, you know, every gardener has a good pair of secateurs, but if they want to have a crack at pruning their trees, what sort of tools do you recommend? Well, uh, as you said, secateurs, um, a small hand pruning saw for some smaller branches that might be good to, uh, might, you know, for some of the branches that are a little bit too big for your secateurs. Um, and then obviously beyond the hand tools, that's when you start sort of getting into the, you know, the power tool uh, area, you know, sort of either petrol chainsaws or electric, a lot of electric tools obviously now coming onto the market, which are great because they're quieter mm-hmm. and generally a bit lighter and nicer to use. I think the thing with any pruning tools is get quality, make sure it remains sharp and clean. Um, you should never forget that, you know, as you're pruning, you potentially can be spreading fungal spores or bacteria and things between plants. Yeah, I think safety, uh, safety first as well, when it comes to chainsaws, uh, I mean, I've got a chainsaw, I've got a battery chainsaw, which I absolutely love for chopping stuff up. 
there there are a few things you really shouldn't be doing with a chainsaw, is there? You know, like waving it above your head, J- juggling is another That's bad right. one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> juggling, juggling is a bad yeah. one. Yeah. I, yeah, I guess if you feel uh, if it feels unsafe, you really should be getting an expert in. But um, chopping up stuff yes. on the ground is is normally something the home gardener can do. I guess talking to your to your local steel dealer um, as to what the best tool is for you uh, is a good way to go, and, and always make sure you feel comfortable and have the right safety gear. I guess. Exactly. Um, I mean, you know, as well as having, you know, a well-maintained, sharp, clean chainsaw, um, like you mentioned, the safety gear, eye protection is essential because, you know, even just hand sawing something, I mean, you know, if you get sawdust in your eyes, I've, you know, <laughs> been to hospital a couple of times over the years, even with a visor on, stuff manages to get in there eventually. With the chainsaws, uh, be it petrol or battery operated, I mean, obviously it can be incredibly dangerous if they're not used correctly. Uh, so you can buy mm. chainsaw trousers, which um, are ballistic nylon, it's like thick material. And if you happen to catch your leg, with your chainsaw, what it'll do is it'll pull out all of these loose fibers and it'll block the saw before it gets a chance to cut through into your flesh. So that's always a good idea. And of course, steel toe cap boots, <laughs> seen as most people are obviously flailing around often on the ground, cutting up wood and um, yeah, very easy to, uh, you know, sort of nick the end of your uh, trainer shoe and lose a couple of toes if you're not careful. So, so, so a decent pair of steel toe cap boots. And the yeah, other thing absolutely. to remember is, you know, never use a chainsaw off a ladder. There's good pole saws, again, both petrol and battery operated out there on the market or even mm-hmm. manual pole saws for smaller stuff. But yeah, very yep. dangerous to be using a chainsaw off an unstable ladder. And another common mistake that people often make and can get into a bit of trouble with is trying to use a chainsaw above head height. Um, if you've got your arms stuck up, at it, if you're on tiptoes and desperately trying to reach something that's up above head height, if you do catch a chainsaw wrong, it can do what they call kickback, which will flick the saw back towards mm-hmm. you. And obviously, you know, um, you know, if, if the saw's somewhere up around head height, that's just something that you don't want to happen. So, you know, no. but a good rule of thumb is never use a chainsaw above shoulder height. And then if something's a bit taller, then you can look at uh, using a pole saw potentially. Um, or, you know, if it gets anything a bit too big or too high, that's when you really need somebody who's trained in using a rope and harness and working at height, like a professional arborist to come in and uh, do the job for you. Yeah, absolutely. I've got a, a pole pruner, I think it's an HTA 86, uh, that goes up to about four metres and I'm sort of quite comfortable working from the ground at that sort of level. But then when anything over that, you know, you, you do need to get in. Do you need yes. to get in the professionals. What's the biggest mistake you see that home gardeners make when it comes to pruning? Is it safety around tools or is it... Um, pruning incorrectly oh i think certainly a bit of both um i mean yes definitely you do see a lot of unsafe pruning practices especially with the power tools so yeah we've you know we've just talked about the safety gear that's essential um and you know practicing with the power tools on the ground on a few sacrificial bits of wood is always a good idea just be familiar with you know what you're using don't try and bite off more than you can chew When it Mm -hmm. comes to uh, pruning trees, I mean, often people, um, I do hear a lot of people that will say, oh, you know, I need to prune my tree to make, you know, to maintain its health. That's a bit of a bit of a uh, misnomer, really. I mean, it's the, um, you know, a tree, a tree is naturally going to want to achieve a certain sort of size and spread. And, um, you know, if you sort of feel that pruning branches off to try and control, to control the tree is going to make it healthy. It's not actually the case. You know, you're removing leaves. It's the leaves that 
photosynthesize and produce the food for the tree. And if you cut a lot off, the tree's just going to naturally try and put that back as fast as possible. The best tree really uh, is a tree which doesn't need too much pruning. So you've selected the right tree for the space. It's going to sort of achieve the sort of mature dimensions that it suits your garden and the space available. Certainly uh, over pruning and trying to open up a tree too much to, to thin it, to let light through and things, again, isn't necessarily great for the tree. It might be good to let more light into mm. the garden, but again, a sort of a, a sensitive prune and a sensitive approach which doesn't take out too much material is probably the best rule of thumb to go by. I mean, it's the old adage of getting the right plant for the right spot, isn't it? It's important for trees, it's important for hedges, it's important for every every plant right down to your lawn. You've got to get the right plant for, for your set of conditions and then... That minimises the amount of maintenance you have to do on it and, and that makes it look healthier and, and look more natural and you inevitably get a better looking garden for it. So, I mean, planning really is the key. Absolutely. Yeah, sadly, though, there is there is times, and I'm, I'm not scared to say that, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of taking out trees if you need to. I've seen a few methods used, you know, they've seen them take them down with cranes. <laughs> I've seen the uh, chop at the bottom and yelling timber as it as it sort of falls down. <laughs> What's the best way to remove remove a tree if if you have to? And um, you know, at what point do you get professionals in? I guess when you start feel starting to feel scared when it falls down. I guess it's a bit late. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> once, it, once it's through the roof of the house, it's a bit too late. Um, yeah, it's certainly. Um, you know, I'd again be you've got to be familiar with your tools. I mean, if if you um, you know if. Certainly, you shouldn't really be thinking about buying a chainsaw or a power tool and just taking out a tree immediately. Um, you know, having some experience of being able to just cut up logs on the ground, you know, sort of uh, is going to be a good idea. I mean, there's obviously lots of YouTube tutorials out there on how to fell a tree. I mean, the internet's fantastic for just you know be able to watch a video to see, you know, how it's done properly. Main thing is 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 don't be too uh, confident of your of your skills and think that just by putting a rope or being able to push a tree means it's necessarily going to go in the direction you want it to. So, you know, even with the small mm. tree, it's uh, if the crown is slightly asymmetrically weighted or there's a slight trunk lean or it's even a, just a breezy day. I mean, it's, you know, you'll often see people doing a fairly sort of messy job of a felling cut and then, you know, all of a sudden finding that the tree sat back and trapped the chainsaw and it's just you know, it's become some sort of garden ornament then <laughs> until you actually get a professional to come <laughs> around and, and free it all up. Yeah. Watch a few videos, I would say. If you practice on something small, uh, be very familiar with your tools. Always a good idea, even if you think a tree is going to go in the direction you want it to. If you're, if you're felling a small tree in your garden that you feel quite comfortable about tackling and you've got all the safety gear on, always put a rope on it anyway. It can't do any harm. Um, you know, it just it's a, just another level of insurance to try and make sure that it falls over in the right direction. And even a small tree that's only a few mm -hmm. metres tall, I mean, if, if it, as I say, if it goes and sits back towards you, you know, you don't want to be doing yourself an injury, pushing and pushing at the thing, you know, sort of trying to get it to go the way you want it to, or, you know, finding that it's yeah. sort of tra trapped yourself. Yeah. So I've got a bit of a personal question now for some plants some trees in my own garden. I've got uh, evergreen alders that go down the driveway. Now, I know they're relatively short-lived. I would assume they're yes. probably 25, 30 years old at the moment, and they're getting full of borer. Is there anything I can yes. do to, uh, to, to, to fix that? And, and do I have to uh, you know, start planning for their removal and replacement eventually? I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think looking at removal and replacement is definitely the go. Um, I mean, yeah, once oh, uh, once a tree oh. has got borers in it, you know, the tree, uh, you know, you can tell it's, it's the tree's going to be stressed. It's 
especially evergreen alders, they do tend to decay quite readily. So inevitably, I'm guessing that your trees have probably got lots of, you know, even pruning wounds, which haven't fully um, occluded over, have probably got now decay developing in them. Combine that with a lot of borer, it's probably sort of time to sort of think about maybe removing some of the worst trees and creating a few new spaces where you could get some new interplanting between with the different species or whether you, you know, remove one block of trees and then you know, one end of, you know, your garden or your drive and then plant some new trees yeah. and do it that way. But um, as what well, you've got to remember is, I suppose, if you're removing trees within a group um, and then want to put some new trees in to fill the space, if it's going to be too shady because of the existing trees it might affect the growth of the new trees so you've got to sort of consider that you know you don't want to be planting a new tree which will never do anything because it's going to be suppressed by its sort of adjacent larger neighbors yeah sure so we you know um you know borer's nasty little thing that gets into the trunk of the tree and, and basically punches a hole into it and eats it from the inside out is there a concern that they will move into the new trees as well it depends. It's amazing how within a row of trees of the same species, if one tree is more stressed uh, than the others, you tend to find that the in insects can actually sort of tell that um, and they'll tend to home in on the on the weaker tree. Um, the tree naturally, trees naturally try and um, fend off pests and pathogens, but they've got, you know, lots of specialised chemicals in there internally that they can use and, and sap and various different uh, compounds which they can try and uh, you know plug up borer holes with uh, eucalyptus are a good one most people would have be familiar with uh, the the red kino uh, sap that a lot of eucalyptus will produce once you've got the borers in yes they may spread to other trees i mean we were just talking about the evergreen alder, which do seem to be fairly prone to that. The best thing really is just to try and maintain tree health. And if you've got a tree which is, you know, really uh, badly affected by a pest or a disease, then it might be a good idea to remove that because it, yes, as you say, it could be a source of infection or infestation for some other trees in the garden. I'll finish up with one last question. Um, when you've got a nice healthy tree and it just is slightly in the wrong spot and you and you know you perhaps you're doing a development or something like that and you want to move it how difficult is it to transplant a, a tree uh well it depends very much on the species of the tree some some species um you know things like banksias and things um really don't like to be moved you know you, even if it was small it probably won't necessarily survive the move and other trees say for example like a magnolia or something um then yes you probably have a much better chance the only problem with transplanting established large shrubs and small trees is that you've just got to get such an enormous amount of root volume. Um, and if you don't, you might find that the tree, the stress that the tree is put placed under by transplanting it, it may take years for the tree to fully recover. And sometimes trees never do. Sometimes they've just taken such a knock to their health and vigor from the transplanting process that they're never going to be as good quality as they were originally. Um, and the other thing we were just talking about pests and diseases there, if a tree is being very stressed by being transplanted, then um, it's going to be much more susceptible to pests and diseases. So sometimes uh, it might be worth just considering, you know, if a tree really isn't in the right spot. Obviously, mm. you know, you've always got to check whether or not a tree may be covered by council's, uh, council tree management policy to find out whether there are rules and regulations that might affect whether you can actually remove a tree. But after checking that out on the council's website or seeking some professional advice, then yeah, if you can, if you can sometimes just remove a tree and put a new tree in, or even better, plant the new tree and then look at long-term removing the other tree down the track.
Yeah, it's it's a cost analysis game, isn't it? I guess the cost of, I mean, to do it properly, if it's a decent sized tree, you might have to bring a crane in to lift it to to get a decent root ball on it and move it. And if it yeah. fails, then all of that cost, yes. it, it might just be cheaper to fell the tree and, and put in an advanced uh, container grown tree. Yeah, if uh, certainly a, yeah, an what? advanced sized tree is going to establish far quicker and be, you know, it's likely to be a much healthier tree and give you a much better result in the long term. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Martin, I could talk to you about trees all day long, but I think we're out of time. So I want to say thank you for your time and your knowledge. It's been, it's been awesome. Thanks, mate. All right. Cheers, Charlie. Thank you. So now it is time for some community questions. And our first question comes from Lucy in Sydney. She's asking, hi, Charlie, I've moved to a new home and we have a large gum tree growing close to the house. Now I'm concerned the roots will affect the foundations and damage the house. Should I be worried? Well, this really depends on how big the gum tree is and how old your house is. I I doubt heavily that the gum tree is going to lift up your house, but if you are concerned, I would get an arborist in to look at the tree and you could also get a structural engineer in to have a look at the foundations of your house. The biggest problems you'll find is when the weather changes drastically. So when the soil dries out a lot or if it gets really wet, it could swell and that's when you're going to see problems. Also, after a storm like Martin suggested, head outside, take a look at the canopy of the tree, check that it's healthy. And like I said, if you're worried, get in an arborist. Darren from Blacktown asks, pruning fruit trees is a little bit daunting. Can you tell me how to do it properly? Well, pruning fruit trees can be a little bit daunting if you don't do your research. So just check what you're growing and find out the best way to prune it. One rule of thumb I always follow though, or always look for is find out where the fruit is produced. Is it on new wood or old wood? Because you don't want to be pruning that out. For example, a pomegranate, you don't want to be taking out all the old wood because you're going to be taking out future fruit, future fruit. Can you say that? Future fruit. Yeah, you'll be taking out future fruit. So don't do that. If you have any other issues with fruit trees, head to the still blog and you can find a comprehensive list of fruit trees and how to prune them. We've got an email from Betty from Cabramatta and she says she notices I use a lot of tall trees as hedges. Can any tree be a hedge? Now, this comes down to the right plant for the right spot. If you do need a tall hedge, you're going to be looking at a tall tree. I like to use the water housier or lily pilly quite a lot because it's fast growing. The foliage stays dense to the ground and it responds really well to pruning. The more you sort of prune off that foliage, the denser it becomes and you get a lovely thick hedge. You don't want to be using things like eucalypts uh, that don't get covered in as much foliage because they're just not going to give you a thick screen. If you want something that is a medium sized hedge, you might want to try a medium sized tree. Something like a Viburnum odoratissima will do the job perfectly. And if you're going for small hedges, don't put the tree under stress. Go for a smaller shrub. Something like a boxwood is perfect. Finally, Simon from Budgiewoy is asking, what is the best way to establish a new tree? Now, this all comes down to picking a really healthy tree out at the nursery, making sure it doesn't have any bark inclusions, making sure there's no rubbing branches and then do lots and lots of really good soil preparation. You want to rip the ground so it's nice and free draining and you want to add in lots of compost. If you can get your hand on some mycorrhizae fungi, then your tree is going to be laughing. That is a thing that will attach itself to the plant's roots and it will grow out and it will increase the root run of the plant and you're going to get a really lovely healthy tree for as long as you can remember. Do you have any gardening questions you'd like me to answer? Well, send me an email at charlie at still.com.au. It was fantastic to speak to my old study buddy, Martin Peacock. Thanks again for giving us your time, Martin. 
But what did we learn today? Well, we learned to plan the time of year to prune your trees, particularly your fruit and citrus. If in doubt, please call an expert arborist. Always safety first. If you feel at all concerned about pruning a tree, get an expert in. They can give you advice and they might be able to give you the confidence to do it yourself or you can get them to do it for you. And finally, pick the right tree for the right spot and keep an eye out for any issues that might become problematic later in life. Thanks for listening to That's How We Grow in partnership with Still Garden Power Tools. Need the tools to take on any gardening challenge? Go to the Still website or head to your local Still dealer today. You can follow Still on Instagram at still underscore AU and follow me on Instagram as well at charlie underscore Albone. On our next episode, we'll speak with Jimmy Turner, the CEO of Roma Street Park in the heart of Brisbane. Jimmy is a Texan and an all-round plant geek. He has an incredible plant knowledge and I can't wait to discuss with him plant and lawn care for higher temperatures. And don't forget to check out Still's blog with plenty of great gardening advice, tips and tricks. I'm Charlie Arbone and thanks for listening. Until next time. Goodbye. <laughs>